0: The following podcast contains explicit language. This is Correct Politically.
1: Hello, and welcome to Correct Politically, where we discuss modern issues of global concern. I'm your host for this week, Nitsan Rivlin, and I'm joined by Rafi Blumenthal. Hello. And Joshua Romano. Hey, bro. So, this week, instead of... Lamenting on the present, I thought it would be nice to take a look back in the past. <laughs> Should I correct back to your, drop
0: your grammar on that or let it slide? <laughs> you can't lament on something; you can lament something.
2: Really? Let's start this off Are with you a bang. Sure? He is. The I've lamented a on a lot of different stuff in the past. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: I mean,
0: I'm lamenting on your ruining of the English language.
1: <laughs> Good. You lament on that for a while. <laughs> So recently, I've and I'm sure you guys have well, I've uh, read a lot of pieces about the Obama presidency and the legacy that he'll leave and how he's viewed by the American public. And I'm sure you've read a lot of articles about how the election of Donald Trump is, in a sense, a referendum in the Obama presidency and. You know, we're going to be inundated with these kind of articles for a while now, Um, because what people love to do is talk about how people will be viewed in the future, even though this is sort of a fool's errand, because how can we possibly predict how someone will be viewed later on in life? Well, I don't think a lot of people really want to live in the present
2: right now, so maybe that's a justification for wanting to look (laughs) back or wanting to see how somebody will look in the future backwards.
1: Yeah. Yeah probably and probably when they're in like 50 years when people are talking to their kids or grandkids they'll be like man that obama was amazing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a great back speaker back when we used to have democracy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't know what it was like <laughs> <laughs> so i thought today it'd be interesting uh instead of focusing on how tr- donald trump will lead the country in the future or how barack obama has led the country in the past 8 years it'd be nice to take a look at some past presidents and you know and go sort of go through their presidency how they were viewed at the time and how the historians and the public's perceptions view of them changed over time so each one of us has chosen a president that we will discuss and i will lead things off by talking about the second president of the united states john adams so Adams, as all of you are well aware, he was one of the founding fathers of the United States. He went on plenty of diplomatic missions to Europe during the time of the revolution to garner support for the American Revolution. Uh, he was the first vice president and the second president of the United States. He was a one-term president, um, mostly due to some of his unpopularity during uh, his presidency. Some of the accomplishments of his presidency was actually inaction in that he chose not to go to war with either Britain or France um, and did not want to get entangled in their, in the war across the bay, uh, mostly because he saw that there was nothing to gain. But uh, many Americans viewed both uh, Britain and France as being antagonistic to the United States and did want to see action. Uh, He also passed the Alien and Sedition Act, which jailed people who were critical of his administration and also made it more difficult for immigrants to vote. Um, And those were basically the two things that I think he's most remembered for. I mean, chime in if you guys think of anything else that was like particularly.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think like John Adams suffered from I'm trying to think of like a clever um name for it but it it happens all the time it's like al gore syndrome where you're when you're coming after a great leader you're almost like kind of doomed to underwhelm and much of john adams presidency seemed to be like you were describing just sort of like shrouded in like half measures or um concerns and 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 like his accomplishments before becoming president are like overshadowed by his presidency. And then his presidency gets like um, sort of remembered in a certain you um, because of I think he was just like coming after Washington, never really able to
1: live up to the hype. We should really call it the John Adams syndrome, considering <laughs> he became. <laughs> he doesn't even get a syndrome named after him. No, <laughs> uh, no. Nah, nah. I just feel
0: like, you know, it d- doesn't do it well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair so call. He was like
2: the first isolationist president, I guess you could say.
1: Um well, I don't know. Washington was as Washington, isolationist. Yeah, right? Washington also said like uh what was the quote? Like don't get uh, entangled in foreign affairs. Oh. It was it was something along those lines. I don't Washington
0: must called. have been really annoying to play like a board game with because he was all about just like not taking sides, like <laughs> you know, like he'd, like be like you know, like pick up basketball and like refuse to like shoot or defend.
2: Like he was like nice sports records. Know. Yeah, you know, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> huge huge fan of the sports. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah the sport actually is as, as you know, on the right side of the Atlantic they call it. <laughs>
1: See how <laughs> shitty it is to be John Adams. Even a conversation about him is being co-opted by his predecessor. <laughs> <laughs> Poor John Adams. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that you're right, Ralph, in that he didn't have major accomplishments. He followed a, a, the first president and he preceded Thomas Jefferson, who is also considered to be one of like the more influential presidents the country has ever had. Um, And it's interesting because there was an HBO miniseries about John Adams, which is really interesting. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's also semi, it's pretty accurate, like historically. It's based on the um, David McCullough book. Oh, is it? Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, like, at the time, it seems, at least from that miniseries, that he's he's at least aware of the fact that he's unpopular, mm-hmm. uh, which also led him to uh, start writing a lot after his presidency. That also led to a famous exchange between him and mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson when they were exchange letters. Um, and I think sort of the way that he was viewed then is relatively similar to the way that he's viewed by historians in general. I mean, there's sort of like these rankings on how presidents are rated, you know, from one to, it's going to be 45 soon. Um, and Adams is always in that 10 to 15 range. Like he's one of the more popular one-term presidents ever. Um, But he's always going to be ranked lower than, like, the Washington, the Jefferson, and the Lincoln.
0: So when you say, like, rankings or ratings of presidents
1: and where, like, Adam falls along that continuum, where do you get these numbers from? So there's different um, surveys done over the years in which they basically reach out to different political scientists or historians, and they ask them to rank, um, you know, the president's. And they gather all that data, they aggregate it, and then they could release some sort of study on it. So there was some stuff done by, by Nate Silver recent, uh, in like two, three years ago in which he sort of looked at uh, popularity ratings as well as these historian surveys and sort of compared that data. There was other organizations that do it uh, as well. Um, there was one even that sort of tracks how historians view presidents like every 10 years. So basically you could sort of see how a president's standing changes from like the 40s until today, uh, 1940s. And all this stuff is more or less like readily available online if you just Google presidential rankings. No, I, was just, I was just
0: thinking. I was looking at um, Nate's ranking and on his chart, which you know is, is taken from an article back when he was writing at the New York Times in 2013 called um, "Contemplating Obama's Place in History Statistically." It's a tough uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> say that six times fast. Right. Um, but anyway, I was just at, actually looking at this and to maybe disprove this, not John Adams, John Adams syndrome. Um, Harry Truman surprisingly ranks number six all time. Uh, president popularity and like you would think if there really is john adams syndrome that he would suffer coming after fdr's four terms right not really getting elected in his first term but he didn't so that's just surprising
1: yeah uh harry truman
0: that's such an interesting figure. Like, <laughs> like, Wait, I have to share the most amazing thing about Harry Truman, which is that my grandparents, <laughs> when they were still alive, went to go see in theaters the Jim Carrey movie called The Truman Show because <laughs> they thought it was about
1: <laughs> Harry Truman. <laughs> It's the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. Wow. I'm sorry, I that was. Were they, really, were they mildly, it, was, <laughs> point, it was definitely yeah, was more, more important really than what you were going to say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe metaphorically, it's kind of is. I don't know. Did they <laughs> but, learn a lot about Harry Truman from the show. <laughs> I would hope not, but who you know, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing.
2: <laughs> Um, to Ralph's parents were very to Ralph's grandparents were very sorry
0: yeah <laughs> and or like we're surrounded by like uh, stoned yeah. high school kids you know please <laughs> do not come back
1: and haunt me as a ghost yeah, throughout my could. life <laughs> oh sorry so uh, back to Adams mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so yeah he's always ranked sort of in the 10 to 15 range um i think he's pretty much lauded for staying out of the british and french conflict but he's also lambasted for the alien and sedition act um he was
2: also like the second president ever in the united states of america so i feel like he would have some sort of like i don't know like high ranking because of that
1: yeah i also think that just, just the fact that he was one of the founding fathers also plays a big role in that so it's a little bit difficult to judge him just based on his presidency because people can't separate him as a president from the work that he did prior to that like
2: if you think of john if you hear john adams you think of founding fathers president ever like
1: it's automatic that you're going to think that right right? let's move on to our uh, the next president we want to look at and that would be woodrow wilson um okay
2: so of course we're referring to the wilson of castaway uh the beach ball volleyball whatever
1: the fuck it was called very <laughs> successful presidency yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> until
0: until kanye 2020 uh so <laughs> you heard it here for you heard it here
1: for
2: folks that's our official <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i can't even say that with a straight face
0: so in 2016 Woodrow wilson becomes i think more complicated than he's been to talk it becomes more complicated to talk about Woodrow Wilson in 2016 than it was or has been I think like any year since like the 1920s and that's because of the recent um, sort of upheaval or conversation about changing the name of the um, International Affairs School at Princeton University which is currently called the Woodrow Wilson School of International Affairs and people have um, questioned whether that uh, name should, um, be continued or should be sustained because of like his, um, quote unquote, checkered legacy. So I, th- I just feel like that's like the elephant in the room and it frames the discussion, but to put that on the side for a second and then return to it, up until, like, I think it's 2015 when people first started like protesting against that, um, Woodrow Wilson was remembered in US history very fondly, right? We mentioned that Harry Truman was number six on the all time list, and right after him is Woodrow Wilson at number seven. So um, he sort of like enjoyed being remembered very fondly. And I think for well, very he didn't
1: enjoy that. He was dead. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair
0: play. Um, I, I, think, I think for fairly good reasons, um, mostly circled around really like his foreign policy accomplishments. Um, he led America into World War One, which was really like a seismic um, shift for U.S. foreign policy because never had we like entered into like a... Sustained international conflict or European conflict before we had like fought some battles in like you know the Caribbean and like in the Philippines, but nothing of the uh, even close to the scale um of World war one and he also very famously um in the aftermath of World War one attended himself uh the the uh paris peace conferences uh which was in and of itself like a big deal and he uh, tried to um, sell the American people and the United States Congress on the idea of establishing uh, the League of Nations, the sort of, like, precursor to the United Nations, he ultimately failed. And what's actually pretty remarkable is that in 1919, when he, like, both went and returned from this peace conference, and then in 1920, which was the last year of his presidency, where he failed to convince people of the League of Nations or or to join the League of Nations... um, in that year's presidency, the Republican, I think it was Harrison, uh, rocked or just destroyed the Democratic candidate, which was Wilson's party. And it was perceived as a rejection of Wilson's like internationalism and a return to isolationism, which was what the Republican party had more traditionally stood for. So, all of that just in context to um, think about Wilson's legacy is that like. It seems as though like immediately afterwards in the like literally the last year of his presidency, he was fairly unpopular. I mean, he had his like signature cause which was the League of Nations and he like almost killed himself quite literally. He had a stroke on stage because he was working so hard trying to sell this concept to Congress and to the American people and he failed. And then the American people sort of rejected the whole internationalist vision by um, electing the Republican in such large numbers. But then I think with the sort of benefit of a couple of years of time, he came to be remembered a lot more positively
1: up until very recently. Obviously, it was going to be reflected on poorly because World War I was not particularly popular, right? I mean, it was... They were the generation that fought. There was called the Lost Generation.
2: Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense for the fact that like the American people weren't exactly like really, really happy about maybe being more internationalist because of World War One. You know, a lot of people dying.
0: Sure, um, you know, again, I think with the benefit of hindsight, and this is maybe what Wilson's legacy initially benefited from. Historians came to, I think, collectively think that had we invested in the league of nations perhaps like the um s- destruction and 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 continuous fighting you know in, in the decades that followed could have been prevented
1: so i guess you could sort of say that that uh, hindsight is 2020 and in retrospect or the assumption being that the league of nations uh or a more internationalist role for america would have helped prevent future wars and he was sort of he could be viewed as, like, a visionary.
0: Sure, and I think in the 1950s is exactly the role that America
1: finally did agree to kind of, like, um, pick up. Okay. Um, So let's... I I think he's still incredibly popular, but there is a a segment of uh, the population that talks frequently about his role in sustaining segregation and even... Reestablishing it in some uh, federal government bureaucracy. Let's talk a little bit about that and the Princeton protest.
0: Sure. So before even you know taking aside, I think it's worth laying out like what the the claims are. So the, there's uh, really three stains uh, primarily on on Wilson's record. The first is that while eventually women's suffrage did pass in 1919 under his tenure, he was sort of like late to the party um, in terms of like um, uh, in the early goings um, he was not like not only was he just not like a proponent for it he would just like ignore the protesters and like whatever there's some remarkable um, stories about his indifference about the issue but he did eventually come around and 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 help oversee the the passing of what was it the 14th Amendment? No.
1: what for women's, women's vote yeah I think it was the it wasn't the 14th. It was no, the 14th, 14th was, was the 19th. Was, uh, like it was the slave, slave one, yeah. It was the 19th. Nine,
0: nine, okay, 19th amendment. I, I think uh, No, I think that was prohibition. That or whatever. <laughs> and, right, I, I, yeah. I'm passing the women's vote. Um, right. that's, so, number one, right, he like didn't really help the whole cause when it was already tilting in that direction. Number two, um, before him, especially under the sort of um, progressive-leaning Teddy Roosevelt, um, many federal... Uh, uh, institutions were beginning to be desegregated, um, and Wilson sort of oversaw um, the un- unwinding of that. Um, he, he sort of like brought back segregation to uh, federal institutions and like eliminated a lot of a lot of the bodies that were desegregated, only to replace it by like different names, same thing so it could be segregated again. That that type of idea. And then thirdly, he um, oversaw or, or welcomed in a, a group of individuals to watch the movie called um, The Birth of a Nation, which was um, like Ku Klux Klan propaganda. This was during the same years where the Ku Klux Klan, initially like sort of dying out in the latter half of the 19th century, um, sort of like had a resurgence or a rebirth um, in, in these years, in the 1920s Um Uh, In terms of their political activism. So, um, you know, screening the movie at such a um, sort of delicate time was was a a sort of um, open, I guess, um, overture to the Ku Klux Klan. So those are the three like cardinal sins that people... Hold against Wilson's legacy, and therefore naming schools after him.
1: Well, also the reason why they named the school originally after him is because he was the president yes. of Princeton yeah, University. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I forgot so to. Forgot to not that. they randomly <laughs> chose a president. Like, all right, I like this he, guy. <laughs> he also he also became
0: president at a point where it had previously, like the previous three or four presidents, had all been ministers, as was tradition. And as a result, pre- uh, I don't know only because of that, but academic standards had fallen in like total disarray, and the school was really like going to shit. And they. Uh, like specifically chose Wilson despite him not being a reverend or minister um because they they needed him to turn the school around and get it back on track, and like he very much like single handedly almost turned the school into like the leading institution that it is today okay
1: Princeton is is as we said, a leading institution it's an ivy League school in New Jersey, and a few years ago some students uh protested. Uh, the fact that one of their schools is named, one of their buildings is named after Woodrow Wilson, who, as we just mentioned, has a checkered history with race. So let's talk a little bit about the protesters and the reactions. So, you know, before even just taking aside, I think like to maybe
0: to perhaps simplify the arguments pro, um, you know, coming from from each angle is that on the one hand you could say well like if you start changing the name of the Woodrow Wilson school it sort of just becomes like the slippery slope argument of like well then change or rechange everything um alternatively that I think on the side of change is the like sort of um trigger warning um safe space type of um positioning where like the fact that um you like attend a school and receive a degree from a man who screened a Ku Klux Klan movie um, in the white house. If you are someone who who finds that personally offensive can feel like very um, inflammatory um, or like almost um, uh, perverting like your entire um, time
1: that you spend at that institution. So that's, I think the two angles of it. Right. So the protesters are basically demanding the, the name of the school be changed. And there are others who view that that's, Um, a measure that shouldn't be taken because it's erasing their history.
2: It's interesting to look at both sides because I think one's more of like a progressive way of looking at it and one's more of like, as you said, like a slippery slope kind of way of looking at it, saying like, I guess if you could change this. And I mean, I would go into that a little bit more because like, I think a lot of our leaders are a lot of things that, let's say buildings that have names on it or people of like, who have checkered past. So like, I guess you are also opening up a can of worms. But I think, at least having the conversation is something, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't know, I don't know if I would go so far as to uh, changing the name of the building because I think it, again, sets a, bad pre- sets a bad precedent. However, however, I would say that I do see their point because, again, like this person, if you're getting your diploma for or if you're walking past the building, you, I mean, it represents the school, it represents like, what you kind of joined up to to be a part of and if you don't necessarily agree with like with what I guess his checkered pass has done um it's kind of hard to like walk past that building and not really say anything but to the other point (laughs) it's also like he's an internationalist like that like it's in the international school like it'd be pretty hard I mean also yes he was the president of the school but like he was like the emblem of trying to like you know, make America more like part of the world. And I think it would be pretty hard not to uh, have his name on the building.
0: Okay. So I'm going to not equivocate. (laughs) Um, I'm going to, I actually think I I sort of like gave this some thought because I knew that we were going to talk about it today. And I want to suggest like, I guess actually like an argument that's sort of like um, pretty, uh, I think clear cut. So here goes. Um, Number one, I think we should not change the name of the, you know, Woodrow Wilson School of International Affairs, nor the Calhoun Dorm in Yale, or like Yale University itself. There are all sorts of like these conversations raging um, at the moment, and I'm against. I'm pretty sure all of them, because all of the arguments I've read, and I read a few articles about this as this was unfolding, and also in preparation for today, every argument on either side makes them. In degrees of relativity. So people will be like, well, we should change Calhoun because, like, he was pro slavery, and that was like pretty bad even at the time when other people were starting to change their minds but Wilson even though he was like pro-racist he also did a lot of good plus he was connected to the institution like everybody is applying very localized logic that is not applicable or scalable and therefore in my opinion indefensible so because there is no set of rules in the abstract for determining like how good uh how connected to an institution someone should be before you know you do keep or don't keep the name, and because there is no universal set of rules or logic to determine how evil or bad someone needs to be in order to have their name eradicated. Everything just becomes relative, and I think that's therefore not just like a slippery slope or moral hazard. It's just shitty policy.
1: Wait, so you're saying if they had a school, you know, the Adolf Hitler School of Punctuality? Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So, I would have a degree, first of all, but I mean, after you. <laughs> but,
0: um, no, no, so, that's exactly the, the only um, asterisk I put on my schema uh, for you know looking at these scenarios is that if there is a person who, not that they have a part of their legacy or a part of their career that was slightly um, distasteful, but if but someone like an Adolf Hitler, who like if you did a word association game, the first word that comes to mind is racism, and this is also again talking about like universal rules, conduct a public survey. Someone like. Um, What is it? Calhoun's. What's his first
1: name? John
0: John Calhoun or Woodrow Wilson. These people in the in the national word association game, the first word is not racist or discrimination.
2: So that's where you draw the line. That's uh, like, like yes, that's your role. Anybody under the Hitler
0: level or anybody under like the Joseph Stalin level? I don't think you you change the name because because that changes.
1: That changes. So you're saying Fine. that in 20 years, that's, but when that's we talk metric. about Woodrow Wilson, the first thing that people might associate with him is racism. And then you would say, I mean, that's change a it?
0: historical, but fair. Then I would say change it. Correct, because then at least I'm advocating for a consistent policy that can be maintained. All of the other arguments
1: are so like touchy feely that. I feel like they could change on you know any blowing of the wind. So you're saying have a popular vote? Um, first of all, Princeton's a private institution, so they can choose to do whatever they sure, want. Sure. And those students who are who are protesting this, their word association with Woodrow Wilson when they play that game, the first word to come no, up but is racism. It's it's not so, specific uh, the,
0: to like a block
1: or a college. It it's specific to a to an individual, as reflected in their national perception. Yes, and these are the people who are attending the school and paying money to go to this school.
0: I mean, for I. Don't find that logic compelling. So who would you ask? So, okay, there's two levels you're looking at here. Uh-huh. There's number one, like, how do we measure when it's time to change the name of something? And then there's number two, how much ownership do students have over the names of the institutions they attend? Okay? The first item about, like, how, you know, um, when do the th- when do we determine, like, a sea a, a change? Uh-huh. It's national. I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm advocating for the fact that because the good, the connected institution, and because like badness is all relative, the only way to measure that is national is a national survey of word association. Um, and moreover, polling
1: always gets it right. I like this rule. <laughs> and moreover,
0: I don't find the argument that students have some sort of ownership over the, their institution compelling because so many of those student protesters are there on the dimes of the. Billionaire donors who donated like hundred million dollar gifts, so that because they love Woodrow Wilson, and therefore like ten thousand students all now go to school for free. So like, I just don't find the argument compelling that because you gained entry, you now gain ownership.
1: So you're saying the only people who are able to protest are the people who pay the full amount without a scholarship. No, I'm saying <laughs> no. Protest <laughs> oh
0: all God. you want, and I think protesting is good. And this is also like you're pushing me to the the last point I wanted to make, which is that. I think protesting is fine, and I think these conversations are important. And by no means would I argue to stifle this, no matter you know how rapid the sea change or small of a voice it is. But never to remove names or take away um, parts of a legacy, but to add to it. So if people wanted to say, hey, let's make it the Woodrow Wilson and Susan B. Anthony School of International Affairs, I'm totally for that, actually. I'm just very against removing or erasing parts of a history because it all of a sudden becomes um, distasteful for, like, a group of students or for, like, a state or, you know, anything else.
1: I I think it it has a lot to do with the way that, as you said, we perceive different people. And, like, I think that there are some people you say are, like, too far across the line that there's no way that you can bring them. There's no way you can justify naming a building after them. Sure. I do agree that there's some really odd way of of understanding this, like, more relativism as, like, time progresses, because the morals of today are not in line with the ones of the early 20th century or the early 19th century, so... When we look back at, like, George Washington, he was a slave owner, as was Thomas Jefferson. Should we judge them today based on what they did at their time and what was acceptable? I mean, I think uh, in the Bible, like, Noah was a righteous man for his time or something like that, right? Like, no, and, and Abraham served meat and milk to the angels. Exactly. Was he also a drunk? <laughs> he did. That's explicit in the Bible, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're all subject to, to the moral norms of our time. I think the problem with Wilson is not that he wasn't more progressive than what his time called for; is that he actually instituted policies that were regressive in terms of race. So I think that's a big part of the of the protest of what they're protesting. It's not so much that he was like, "Okay, I'm just in line with what's going on." It didn't progress uh, racial equality. It's that he actively fought for racial inequality. So,
0: if like, I think if you want to now make the argument a morally relevant one and talk about Wilson's legacy specifically, I don't know if like I would agree with this, but there is an argument to be made that the only reason Wilson sort of like um, made these overtures to like um, segregation and racism is because remember he was a Democrat and the Democrats were the party of the South and he knew where his power base was. And he actually, in a lot of ways, reshaped the office of the presidency in terms of working with Congress. He very much believed in coalition building. So a, a a lot of the um segre- like uglier parts of his legacy um some some people argue can be perceived not as like the uglier parts of his personality but the uglier part of the coalition he was leading in his leadership of the executive branch
1: so you admit to the fact that he implemented regressive policies you're just yes, excusing yes. it with with I, yeah i don't like the more
0: you know more moral uh relevant game but if you do it yeah that's that's okay. what one would say
1: okay i personally just love this argument like i was <laughs> i remember being enthralled by this conversation like years ago and i just think it's super interesting because it does pose a really interesting problem like and how do we perceive people who are not perfect like and since that there's nobody who is perfect like how do our perceptions of individuals who lived And different times in American and world history. And uh, that kind of thing could really change a lot over time.
2: I think it's also like, where do you draw that line? Like how bad somebody was, but like, it's interesting to see like where you would draw that line. Like is it John Calhoun. Is it Robert E. Lee? Is it someone else? Like, obviously I think we could all agree if it was an Adolf Hitler thing, like that would be really, really bad. But like, where do you, like, first of all, who gets to decide where you draw that line if it's a private institution or where do you draw that line?
1: Yeah.
0: And it's also a great, like, if you want to, as Ramona likes to say, steer the pot, um, if you want to just, like, get people worked up, because it's an issue that both liberals and conservatives get really passionate about, because liberals are like, oh, safe space, you're offending my sensibilities, and conservatives are all about, like, conserving things and recognizing their greatness, so it's a great way to get everybody angry at you, is what I'm trying to say. Sorry.
1: So next, we're going to discuss someone who is viewed positively by all. <laughs> John F. Kennedy. <laughs> Romano, take it away.
2: Okay, so uh, JFK was kind of like riding the wave of enthusiasm, like around that time of like people wanting to feel like America was doing a lot better after World War II, like fifteen years after. He was the thirty-fifth president, and he was also the youngest president ever, and he was also. Uh, like, the first celebrity president around that time, and I think you can catch this in our 1960s election episode. Um, Good that, plug. What? Good plug. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, that, like, television during that time and, like, political television was really, like, taking on a life of its own, and uh, people were becoming, like, a lot more interested in, like, what uh, like kind of clothes they wore and, like, stuff like that. So uh, he was elected in 1961, and uh sorry to tell you guys this in case you didn't know this he was assassinated in 1963 shit so, i know right it's kind <laughs> of a bummer i didn't finish the movie yet dude uh, sorry <laughs> sorry to ruin the ending uh so he definitely had like lots of ups and downs um i would say some of the downs were the bay of pigs um waiting too long to really do anything about civil rights um the ups i guess like would be uh, the cuban missile crisis he created the peace corps um and he didn't have much like he didn't do much with um, with domestic policy. I mean, he did some, but like most of his presidency, I think if you like look at it, was mostly
1: on foreign policy. So if I remember correctly from our 1960 uh, election episode, he barely won that election, um, meaning that the country was divided on whether they wanted him to be president. In his three years as president, how did popular perception of him change? So he
2: was actually looked upon. I mean, it was. It's kind of like a roller coaster, a little bit. Like in the very beginning, he was like coming on this red, like this wave of enthusiasm. He was really, really, really popular. And then around the time of like the Bay of Pigs, it kind of like went down a little bit. I mean, he was still in like the high fifties, but it wasn't like in the sixties, in the sixty percent approval rating that he was before then. So yeah, so so there were actually a bunch of articles written in uh in twenty thirteen uh to kind of like remember and also mark uh, the fiftieth anniversary of assassination. And a lot of historians were kind of – and different journalists were recounting how they felt about his presidency. And a lot of people, like, th- you know, because he got assassinated and because, um, you know, there's still, like, this conspiracy about what happened. Nobody really knows. And, I mean, it's not that nobody really knows. But most people believe that it's, um, that it's Lee Harvey Oswald. But so, like, 40% of people still believe that there's some sort of, like, conspiracy behind his death. Uh, whether it be like LBJ or the Cubans or the FBI or something like that, so after his like after he was shot, like his approval, I mean his his popularity like shot up.
1: So JFK's death really helped his popularity. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's basically
2: it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs>
0: No, I mean, The other thing I think why that impacts at least the way that JFK is remembered is that like if you don't think of it as like cumulative points scored in the presidency contest, but rather like improvement in your presidency as like a delta from like day one to whatever he, like day a thousand I think he made it to or something like that, um, his improvement um like relative to where he was when he got shot compared to where, when he began was like a very, um, um, positive growth.
1: So that's like, I think the other thing contributing to his like positive legacy. Oh, they're saying that people like viewed him as getting better at the right. job he kept and improving. then they were like, Oh yeah, man, if he would have been president for eight years. Who knows how good he could have been by then? Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Okay. So, so as I mentioned before, um, there
2: were like, those are like some of those articles that people wrote, um, you know, to commemorate the 50th anniversary, some of them were kind of like, you know, we see Kennedy as this great president, but really, like, was he really? Did he really do, like, all these great things, or do we really just commemorate him well because he was shot? Right. Um, so there's a really good article um, by Dylan Matthews in the Washington Post um, that basically, you know, says what I just said, like, Americans think that John F. Kennedy was one of our greatest presidents. He wasn't. Um, and he basically, he goes into the reasoning of, like, why he felt— um that he wasn't so like in the cuban missile crisis he he kind of blames kennedy um for misunderstanding why khrushchev had put the missiles in cuba in the first place he was basically saying like khrushchev didn't really want to invade he was just saying it because like a year before in the bay of pigs he thought that the u.s was going to invade cuba and he kind of wanted to just like make sure that they were okay and that uh kennedy then put missiles in turkey and italy and that was a really bad move because that provoked russia like to build up their their missiles even more in Cuba. Um, Another way that he also said, like, he fucked up was with the Bay of Pigs because he thought it was, like, a really huge mistake and also, like, provoked Russia even more. And uh, I don't know if I agree with this next part, but he's saying, like, some historians even blame Kennedy for Cuba becoming, like, fully communist because Castro at the time wasn't super communist yet and Che Guevara didn't... I mean, he had influence over him, but he didn't have, like, a ton of influence over him yet. And some people... Uh, blame Kennedy for for them becoming uh, totally becoming totally communist, and also so this is what I was going to mention before his 1961 summit in Vienna with with uh, with Nick, uh, with uh, Khrushchev, who was a Soviet leader. He kind of like totally fucked up in that in that whole meeting. He fumbled it. He didn't like really look at great and he, he was super doped up yeah yeah, yeah. he was like <laughs> i'm gonna like no no I'm meaning like he has down. he
0: had serious like back pains he was very very sick all his so, presidency but I he mean, was on a ton of painkillers that whole trip i remember reading about this i
2: didn't want to get into that so much but like i mean in general like that's something that a lot of books have uh, have uncovered like later on in his life, like later on um after he died like in the last let's say 10 15 20 years he had a lot of different uh, health problems. He was in and out of the hospital for like a while. He had back problems. He also had like different, um, he also had just like different ailments. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but like he had just had different. Um, Marilyn
1: Monroe being one of them. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So,
2: so, so, yeah, I mean, people also looked upon him as like this like fierce leader who really like, uh, you know, fought through all the adversity of, of being sick and, and having all these types of diseases. But he also was, like, a huge womanizer and uh, perennially treated on his wife, which I thought, like, which wasn't really in the article that I just mentioned, but, like, it, what's interesting to me is that, like, in today's day and age, like, a lot of news stories, like, a lot of people get not necessarily kicked out of office, but, like, the guy from South Carolina who was, like... Um, the Appalachian The trail. Appalachian Trail, like, the guy who was... Um, like cheating on his wife but there are plenty of stories of politicians who've been shamed Mm -hmm. because they've cheated on their wife. that guy who
0: took uh, dick pics and lost hillary clinton the election right Right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) no no so it's no it's interesting to me is that like that's not looked upon as um badly today um through for john f kennedy and like the fact that like his accomplishments or quote-unquote accomplishments kind of like outdo um that part of his life
1: yeah I think that you could look at any sort of time in history and find things to criticize and find ways to portray some sort of narrative um generally speaking, I think it's pretty accepted that like JFK is incredibly popular among like uh among the among people like over time you so, know it doesn't really change that much so there
2: was actually the tw- the, the 2013 Gallup poll that showed that 75 percent of people, view him as an outstanding or above-average president, which is higher than 11 other presidents other than Eisenhower. I mean, sorry, 11 other presidents since Eisenhower. And he also, um, a 2011 Gallup poll found that he came in fourth when Americans were asked to n- the, to name the greatest president of all time, right. uh, behind Ronald Reagan, Lincoln, Clinton, right. but ahead of George Washington,
0: I think there might also be a bias there. I'm curious if that like ranking will stay that high because like the baby boomer generation who like grew up seeing Kennedy, I all think like enough. disproportionately or remember, remember him disproportionately well. So
1: I don't like you know.
2: No, it's an interesting caveat, but it <clears> just, <throat> right. like the fact that he was like that high up, I think is pretty pretty. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how
1: it progresses. I mean, I think that. The fact that uh, his presidency was cut short certainly helps him because everybody, because everybody views the potential that he had, like you mentioned only the before. good die young. Sorry, <clears throat> only the good die young. Right, um, great song. Yeah, not really. I think it's. Kind of annoying. <laughs>
0: I like Billy Joel. What do you mean? I hate Billy Joel.
1: And I also think there's like a few parallels between... You're going to lose a lot of
2: listeners because of that yeah. last thing. Just, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I
1: was think there are a lot of parallels that you could possibly draw to Bill Clinton and the fact that Clinton was also like a womanizer. And today, like 20 years after his presidency, he's looked upon slightly worse than he did during his time in office because, you know, with time, those accusations are leveled more and more and more stuff is uncovered. Uh, also clinton is accused of rape and assault so i don't know if those yeah. uh accusations i mean a I really candidate can like
0: two. with a record of women claiming sexual uh crimes against them could never get elected in sure. today's day and age
2: um so he, <laughs> not- he was also when when barack obama was like becoming uh like a celebrity also like becoming like on the scene in 2004 a lot of people were comparing him to to jfk because he was in they're both like really really great speakers uh jfk was a was a, a congressman before he was a one term senator but like he was still like relatively inexperienced and
1: he's also the first catholic to be elected obama was going to be the first african-american president to be they elected. they were both also They're, relatively young i'm just right, saying like right, you right.
2: could see a lot of of comparisons between the two
1: cool so i think to sum up we could say that uh perceptions of presidents change over time based on the way that we sort of judge history uh Wilson and his time wasn't the most po- like wasn't the most popular mostly because America was in isolationist mode and as time progressed, this Americans began to understand the need for uh, uh a greater role in international politics and Today we see a few protests against some of his more regressive uh racist uh race policies. JFK, it's really difficult to judge because his presidency was cut short, but that certainly, I think, played a role in his popularity. And John Adams is actually the only one who sort of remained more or less, like, stagnant <laughs> over he's the just years. He's sort of overshadowed. That's yeah, he's overshadowed, and he remains overshadowed. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, in 30, 40 years, when we're doing uh, um, a podcast about Obama's presidency, how we view Obama, uh, especially since a lot of the way a president is viewed is based upon his predecessor and his successor.
0: Right. And at that point, like, Barron Trump will probably be president. Sure. So it'll be, like, an interesting, <laughs> you sort of, like, stage in our national, uh, <laughs> journey.
1: <laughs> and with that, secret stash. Who's going to leave us on? I'll, uh,
0: I'll, I'll, uh, kick it off, um, Uh, So this week, my secret stash is one of my favorite technology tools um, that genuinely enhanced my life happiness, and that's an app called Pocket, as in like something you keep in your pocket. And... It's very very simple it's just a reader app that you can download um, on your on your um, you know whatever Android iOS and then also can add as like an extension to your Chrome browser or Safari browser whatever you use and basically with like very um, low barrier to entry it's like super simple to use you add a button you add a button to your browser or you add it to like your share menu on your phone um, you can then like conveniently sort of like... Um, direct all, like, articles you find on the internet or anything you want to read into, like, this one communal place, which is, like, Pocket. Um, And then you can access it offline. So I'm on, like, airplanes a lot, so it's great. I can just open that up and just catch up with my reading. It remembers where you are. So, like, you start reading in your browser, and then you, like, want to pick it up on your phone. It'll keep you up, like, to your same page. And then also what's nice is, like, if you're someone like me who prints out a lot of articles, when you save it to Pocket, it provides, like, the sort of, like, simple, um, like, stripped down version. So it just, like, strips away a lot of, like, no ads on the side. It's a lot less pages when you print it. Um, So, and, and, like, it's a hard thing to sell but it's real like main selling point because there's a lot of apps that do this is it's um simplicity and and just like um friendly to use um so if you don't have something that already does this i strongly suggest you uh give it a whirl
2: if you had a blog of like how to live your life like Ralph I think I would follow <laughs> it like I think like you know whoever listens to our secret stashes like they get like these helpful tips about like making sure that your air conditioner is on when you get home right. or making sure not to overprint when you have a lot of articles that you want to print like yeah. these you are know if you're biking tips. home every page
0: counts you exactly. know <laughs> or
2: well if you're not into the bike lanes then right. maybe you should listen right. to that episode right. Right. Right.
0: but like also as you know Nitan already mentioned ever since I graduated from the Adolf Hitler school <laughs> the, <laughs> of efficiency
1: or whatever it was you know uh
0: sort of changed my perspective (laughs)
1: life according to ralph um (laughs) so my secret stash this week is actually what spawned the idea for this episode is my recent trip to the fdr presidential library in the hudson valley um
2: kind of uh copying my secret stash from like a little while ago yeah but nobody remembers (laughs) (laughs) also kind of kind of copying my idea of taking your girlfriend to uh I wasn't Dude.
1: copying. I was uh, complimenting. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's, that's, That makes it's you feel good. the funny. highest yeah, form of flattery. Exactly. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> what Melania Trump was going for when she copied Michelle Obama's speech. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> um, yeah, awesome, awesome presidential library. I mean, I sp- didn't spend even remotely enough time in there. You could do, like, two, three days because his presidency is so vast, but um, – you know, it walks you through the Depression, World War II, you know, the things leading up to World War II. Like, it's such an amazing history. Um, highly recommend it to go. The presidential library is free, so it's really cool. You could also pay a little bit and go to see his house as well. Um, it's in upstate New York, only a couple hours away from Manhattan. Uh, it's really, really worthwhile, and it also... Uh, led me to make my life goal um, is to see all the presidential libraries.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say uh, Nitsan is starting the tour yes. of all the presidential libraries
1: for all of those
2: who want to join him. <laughs> I guess follow us on Twitter and you know check us out. Right, I'll
1: post <laughs> up pictures of me like posing next like to like next a, to a <laughs> picture, <laughs> like a statue of Nixon or something like
0: that. <laughs> Dude, I would pay so much money for a signed photograph of you outside the. Um, Mount Rushmore. You know?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: so my secret stash is a book that I am reading um, called Hard Choices, and it is by Hillary Clinton. And I don't want to, you know, get into, you know, like, anything about like why I'm really, really sad that she's not president. But if you're looking for like a really good uh, history of like while she was secretary of state and also like a lot about the Obama presidency, it's like extremely in depth and goes into like not necessarily country by country but definitely region by region and like what she feels about it what she feels about the future and whether or not like you agree with her 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 policies or her politics she happens to have like a ton of experience and also knows a lot about each place and like again like you don't know, you know you don't necessarily would have wanted to vote for her but like you can't deny that like she has a lot of great and cool insight into the world and um it also gives you like um a seat at the table of like different security briefings different like meetings that you had with obama and it's i like it's definitely it's a definitely it's a thick book uh so so definitely like take it for a long trip or something like that but um but it's but it's a lot it's a lot of fun
1: cool so i think that's that for this week Thank you for joining us. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and wherever we are. I <laughs> want to thank our host Pe- Periscope.
0: Uh, don't, don't, you don't want to miss those live video
1: feeds. Which one? I'm sorry. Periscope. Oh, Periscope. Well, that's, uh, you can do that through Twitter, can't you? Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, make sure to subscribe and listen. And thank you for tuning in. Have a good week.
0: Cheers.